0: Good morning. everybody's trip Everybody's tryptophan wore off? Yeah? My my family did a strange thing this year. We ate soups. We didn't have turkey. We didn't smoke a turkey. It was different. It was different. That was not in my script. I don't know why I talked about tryptophan. But uh, anybody read the news or watch the news? You fan? Ken's 5 only. Right, Bill? I don't know where you are, but Ken's 5 for life. Uh, or. Anybody at that stage in your life where you just scroll through Twitter and that's, that's how you, sorry, it's X now, right? It's not Twitter any anymore. I recently got a, a, an account I had managed to resist for, I don't know how long it's been. It's been a long time. And man, the news is wild, y'all. I, I read a couple things recently. I'm just going to read a few things to you. I, I read that two-thirds of adults say the pandemic has changed their lives forever. 87% of Americans, that's really high, 87% say the constant rise in prices of everything is a significant source of stress. Anybody else there? Yeah? Inflation on everybody's mind, right? There's talk of recession, depending on who you ask, it might already be here. Um, People are worried about their investment account, their retirement account, or maybe just your plain old checking account. We hear story after story of school shootings and terrorist attacks. There's always constant bickering in politics. I don't know that that will ever end. It seems like bad news just keeps coming, right? As an adult... As the pressure and the stress mounts and increases, we may be less patient with our spouse or maybe a little more easily frustrated with your children. Maybe even church sets you off a little bit. I I can show you some emails that we get. (laughs) And if you personally battle with depression, that struggle intensifies even more. So in this world of uncertainty that we seem to be in, if you feel like you're getting hit from every side, we need an anchor, right? We must have something to hold on to, something that we can count on in this world. So we're in the sixth letter of the seven in the churches of Revelation and this is Philadelphia. So as you turn in your own Bible to Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to tell you a few things about Philadelphia. Most of you know it as the city of brotherly love, but we're not talking about Pennsylvania. This is modern day Turkey. It was the youngest of these seven cities, founded in 189 B.C., and it was originally founded as a missionary outpost, but not for Christianity, but for Hellenism, for the Greek culture. It was a very prosperous city because of where it was set up. It, you know, If you could imagine a highway system, it was at the intersection of all these highways. And it was nicknamed Little Athens because of the architecture. Beautiful, beautiful buildings, huge buildings. However, one drawback since they did not have seismologists back then, they built the city on a fault line. And it had frequent earthquakes. There was a huge one in 17 AD that had aftershocks. How many of you originally from California, you know what aftershocks are? But if you could imagine aftershocks for years, not days or weeks, but years, aftershocks would happen. And so... Most of the people chose to move outside of the city, away from big buildings that might fall on top of you. And, but those who stayed and lived in the city, they, they lived amid constant danger and a dread of a new disaster. They also were in a world of uncertainty. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7 says, unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Would you anoint the teaching of your word today? May your will be done. Amen. You can be seated. In light of these thoughts of stress and a world of uncertainty, like any good sermon, I have three points. And for you note takers, I'm going to give them to you ahead of time. Ready? Number one. We need to know God's character. Amen. We should probably know who he is. We need to know what God requires of us individually and also as a church. And then thirdly, we need to know that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for reward and also for judgment. So point number one, in this world of uncertainty, Do you think it's important that we know the character of the God of the universe? The guy who's in charge, what should we believe about him? How does Jesus describe himself? And if you read in the Gospels, he he says things like he's meek and he is lowly in heart. But he paints a little bit of a different picture in these letters to the churches. I want to recap the ones that we've already done. In Ephesus he holds the seven stars and walks among the seven golden lampstands. To Smyrna, he's the first and the last who died and came to life. To Pergamum, he has a sharp two-edged sword. To Thyatira, he has eyes like a flame of fire, like burnished bronze, feet like burnished bronze. To Sardis, last week, he has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. To Philadelphia, we just read he's the holy one, the true one, who has the keys of David. And then next week, to finish up, we have Laodicea, and he calls himself the Amen. That's an epic name. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation. Obviously, we don't have time to cover all of these attributes. We're going to stick to Philadelphia this morning. But looking in verse 7, Jesus says, he who is holy... He who is true and he who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I love what my brother-in-law said a minute ago that these do not describe tendencies of Jesus. These are his character. These are who he truly is. And in this world of uncertainty, don't you want to know that the creator of all things does not change? that he isn't flaky, that he didn't set the world spinning and just walk off. Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right, so number one, Jesus is God. We agree on that? No doubt. He alone is holy. He alone is set apart. There's no one like him. We are only holy because He is holy. He will never cease to be holy. There is none like him. There will never be anyone like him. And that's the reason why we worship him. Because he deserves it. And there is no one and no thing worthy of worship in this universe. God is holy. The second part of his statement about who he is. Can we agree that our world is in a state of moral decline? Yes? And I would say it's because we cannot agree on what truth is. It used to be that if you killed somebody on purpose, it was called murder, right? But now, not if that person hasn't been born yet. Or maybe if that killer is found to be mentally unstable, and it doesn't count. It used to be that if you were born with male parts, you were male. Or if you were born with female parts, you were female. And now, what day is it? Seems to change weekly. It used to be that if you made a vow with someone till death do us part, Then you stayed married until one of you died. Now, irreconcilable differences, or it seems like our culture is abandoning marriage altogether in a lot of ways. Why bother? And even in Jesus' day, Pontius Pilate asked him, What is truth? Jesus is the truth, right? He is the Word, the Word is the truth. Can we agree that this Bible we have in our hands is infallible, inerrant, the inspired word of God? This word is the standard of what is true and what is false, what is real, and what is fake. God is true. That's how he describes himself. And thirdly, if you were a Jew and you read this letter they would see this part about the key of David and they would instantly think Isaiah, I know where he's going with this. Let's check this part out. In Isaiah chapter 22 starting in verse 20 it says, then it will come about on that day that I will summon my servant Eliakim the son of Hilkiah and I will clothe him with your tunic and tie your sash securely around him. I will hand your authority over to him And he will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Then I will put the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. I will drive him like a peg in a firm place, and he will become a throne of glory to his father's house. Obviously, this is talking about the Messiah, salvation, We know that God alone saves. Amen. Matthew 121 says, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Is that not comforting? That he will save. John 637, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whomever comes to me, I will never cast out. The door is open. His people will come to him and praise God that he still saves. In this world of uncertainty, he still saves. So to summarize on that one, God's character, to know his character, obviously he has infinite characteristics. We will be praising him for that forever. But the main ones from this letter, it says that he is holy and that he is true and that he saves. So point number two, what does God require of us? Verse 8, if you want to look there, Jesus said, I know your works. He said this phrase to all seven of the churches. Please understand this, that you cannot fool God. And this is a warning to all of the churches that we will be held accountable as individuals and as a church. So what we do with the abilities, the resources, and the time that we've been given. I'll say that again. We will be held accountable as individuals and as a church to the abilities, to the resources, and the time that we've been given. He said, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. So the Church of Philadelphia had this evangelistic opportunity. The city had the mission of spreading Greek culture, Greek language throughout the known world. But now Jesus had opened the door for the church to spread the culture of his kingdom throughout the known world. It would kind of be like being the first city to get the internet. you imagine that? You're the very first one, because they had this highway system and they had all the resources you could imagine. The gospel could travel. It could go. And if we see that as gateway's task, that there is an open door in front of us that no one can shut, where do we even start missionally? It kind of seems like a mighty task, a wide open door. And I love looking at what the preacher Charles Spurgeon had to say. A man once asked him how he could win others to Jesus. And Spurgeon said, what are you? What do you do? The man said, I'm an engine driver on a train. Spurgeon said, then is the man who shovels your coal, is he a Christian? The man said, I I don't know. He said, well, go back. Find out and start on him. And that's our mission, right? To help our friends those who are already in our lives, to become devoted followers of Jesus. And it starts with your own children. It starts with your extended family and then maybe folks at your work, maybe folks at HEB, maybe folks at the gym. Jesus says no one can shut this door. Now, there's many ways to take this phrase. But I think what fits best in the context is that Jesus has opened a door and only he can shut it. And make no mistake, he will shut it. Luke 13.25 says, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. There will be a day when the door is shut and no one else can come in. Right now, it's wide open. And we must work while it's still light. For there will come a time when no one can work. And like we said before, this is a warning. Please heed this warning that you cannot fool God. That we will be held accountable as individuals. And as a church, to what we've done with our abilities and our resources and the time that we've been given. Still in verse 8, you have little strength. Jesus, just called me weak, bro. (laughs) I rode my bike yesterday. I lifted a little bit. I don't know. But in the Bible, is it such a bad thing to be weak? Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, Jesus, you can call me weak, and that's fine. Still, in verse eight, Jesus says, "You have kept my word." What word is that? Has Jesus given the church directions? You betcha. As a Christian, one of the best ways you can grow, here's a pro tip for you, is by knowing and studying Christ's commands. Next time you read through the Gospels, take note of every command that Christ gives to his disciples. And the commands were the same to the church of Philadelphia, and the commands are the same to the church of Gateway. Amen? Most people agree that Jesus gave about 50 different commands. Obviously, we're not going to go over all those today. But I picked out 10 that I think specifically apply even to our church. Love your enemies, lay up treasure in heaven, honor marriage, love your neighbor, do this in remembrance of me, feed my sheep, beware of false prophets and teachers, pray for laborers. Anybody got that 1002 alarm? We'll try to see if that can go off during our service today. Go to offenders directly and privately. And we can't forget, make disciples. There's a lot more, but there's your homework assignment. Go find the other 40, okay? <laughs> Finishing up verse 8, Jesus says, you have not denied my name. Matthew ten thirty three, Jesus says, whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. And what happens when someone is denied by Jesus? What happens when he says, I don't know you? Make no mistake, hell is a real place, and there are many, many, many people going there. So point number one was that we need to know God's character, right, that he is holy, that he is the truth, and that he saves And number two, we need to know what God requires of us individually and as a church in this world of uncertainty. Point number three, anybody remember what it was? Jesus is coming back. Woo! Anybody excited? I know it's 9 a.m. He's coming back, y'all. Not everyone is excited about that. Verse 9, Jesus says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. So apparently there's the Christians in this church of Philadelphia, they were being persecuted by Jewish people who weren't actually Jewish. And there's an obvious connection today to the modern church. We will always be harassed and persecuted by those who do not know God and hate Jesus. Jesus promises us that. But we'll also be harassed and persecuted by those inside the church that claim to be of God and know God, but they really don't. They may go through the motions. They may speak the language. They may walk the walk, but they don't know or love God at all. And they usually complain. That's how you find them most of the time. In my experience, remember I talked about emails earlier? Most of these folks are very critical. You hear things like, man, the music's too loud, or the sermon was too long, or there aren't any small groups I like in my neighborhood on my street. <laughs> there aren't enough taco options. My kids didn't like the snack they got. I got here 20 minutes late and I had to park on Leslie Road. (laughs) Jesus warned us all throughout the Gospels that there will be weeds growing up with the wheat. Just know that it's going to happen. Still in verse 9, he says, I will make them come and worship before your feet. Jesus is not saying that people are going to worship us. Please do not think that, no, no, no. He is very clear that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will see them, they will see us. And concluding verse nine, he says, to know that I have loved you. So these false believers will realize in the judgment that God truly loves the true believers. And there will be a clear separation of sheep and goats, and the sheep will enter into his rest, and the goats will exit to everlasting punishment. Verse 10, he says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. All right, most scholars would say that Jesus is talking about the great tribulation. Um, we definitely don't have time to conquer that today, all right? That, that would probably a whole year. Um, eschatology, the study of the end times, there are a lot of theories about how that's going to go down. And one of the biggest questions that Christians have is Are will we escape the tribulation or does God promise to be with us while we're in it? And I can firmly tell you I have no idea I don't know. I do know this. I believe it would be a mistake to teach the church that they never need to worry about suffering. I believe that every Christian should know how to suffer well. If you think back, if you are married, and if you were a believer before you got married, that when you married, you learned things about God that you couldn't have known until you were married, right? And those of us that have been fortunate enough to be parents, I learned things as a father that I never could have known until I was a father. And it helped me understand God even more. And I would say the same thing about suffering, that there are things you cannot know about the Lord until you have endured true suffering. There's a closeness, there is a reliance on him that you just can't know. Verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. If you remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus said he was gonna fight people. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. Did you know that we're gonna receive rewards from Jesus? Kind of cool. I'm gonna go through these kind of quick, but 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says that we will get an imperishable crown. 2 Timothy 4.8, that we will receive a crown of righteousness. James 1.12, a crown of life. 1 Peter 5.4, the crown of glory. Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death and you will receive the crown of life. And what do we do with these crowns? We just sport them, walk around, be like. A hey. no one chapter later Revelation 4.10 it says that they cast the crowns before the throne saying you are worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created anything good that you or I have ever done is because of Jesus, all right? I've never had a good idea, ever. It's always him. Any goodness we have is from him. And though he may reward me on that day, I will give honor and glory right back to him. In verse 12, it says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. This sounds pretty cool. Particularly having a new name be given to you. Anybody does not like their name growing up? I So I was raised by non-Christians and they named me Christian. <laughs> Prophetic, maybe? I don't know. But... God only gives new names to those who he truly has favor upon. Did you know that? He changed Abram's name to Abraham. He changed Sarai's name to Sarah. Jacob he changed to Israel. He changed Simon's name to Peter. He nicknamed John and his brother James what? The sons of thunder. I'm always... I want to find out what that means. I really do. And remember, Paul was originally called Saul. We're going to be in pretty good company. What an honor to be in that company, to be given a new name by God Almighty. So, to recap, in this world of uncertainty, we need to know God's character, we need to know what He requires of us, individually and as a church. But man, maybe most importantly, we need to know that Jesus is coming back for punishment and reward. And he finishes with, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.